Well, thank you. I just wonder now if um, after this couple of months, if the church never does this double header again, whether it's my fault or Matthew's fault. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have a chat about that at a later date. But uh, it's actually, it's, it's a real joy to be able to be with you in quick succession, two times in quick succession, especially after a long uh, lockdown hiatus. Um, it's just really great to be invited and I really appreciate the invitation. Um, I always love being with you guys, you encourage me. You know, Paul says, I want to come and I want to encourage you, but I know that you'll encourage me. I'm always encouraged when I leave Southport and leave the community church here because you guys are a blessing to me as well. So thank you for that. And um, I just want to say as well that I am not an expert in these things. I am learning. <laughs> We're all learning. But I am excited to share about um, some really important, precious, and I'm going to use the word gifts carefully because... As, I, as I'll describe in a minute, sometimes the word gift can be a little bit unhelpful or it can be very helpful. But I'm going to talk about these two gifts of tongue and interpretation. And so the first thing really is, I suppose, was just to ask you um, if there are any questions that you particularly would like me to uh, dodge this evening and get Dave to pick up at a later date. If there's any questions that we may or may not be able to answer tonight. I'm just going to put it out there. That's the disclaimer. But if there are, I really would like it to be helpful and useful, sort of scratch where you're itching, to use that turn of phrase. So if there are any questions related to the gift of tongues and interpretation in particular that would be helpful for us to consider together this evening, or if we don't consider this evening, that maybe we pick up at a later date, but I would like to know if there's any questions. So just shout out if you've got any particular questions on tongues and interpretation. What do you mean by embarrassment? Embarrassed when you start to speak in tongues? Okay, yeah. Great. I think that generally goes hand in hand with being a human being, yeah. I think a lot of people would feel that way at different times. A self-consciousness. Um, and asking the question, is this me? Am I making this up? Is this the Holy Spirit? Am I speaking in tongues? Or am I just sort of sounding like other people around me? If, you know, can I be making this up? And there's, there's always this battle in our minds. And that's why this gift is so important. Because our minds have to learn to take a back seat. Especially in relation to our spirit. When our spirit's been renewed and the Holy Spirit is in us. But the battle for the mind is the main battleground that we'll face as believers. It's the renewing of the mind that God is working on. Spiritually, we're alive, we're re reborn. But our mind, our emotions, those are the places where the Holy Spirit needs to do his work. So I think what you've experienced, um, I've, I've been speaking in tongues, not constantly, but for 37 years. No, more than that. Hang on, I was seven, I'm 40. Four, seven, four, so 40 years. That was easy maths made a hash of that and uh and i even now there are times when i'll question it and uh and be aware of it so sure could have been both <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> and that's the thing, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it is. It, it, it will, I don't think it's a question that for a lot of people will ever necessarily go away, but when we, when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and when we choose to speak in tongues, because I don't know about you, but no, I have not spontaneously started speaking tongues in the middle of Aldi or, you know, at the gym or anything like that. I choose when to speak in tongues and when not to. It's under the control of, of myself. But once I start, I know that there, there's a flow in that. And it is something, like all things that we do, that, that takes practice, requires time and commitment and, and actually a, a decision to do it to the point where I've put it in my diary on my phone. I've put sit speak in tongues as a regular diary entry onto my phone. So my phone will ping, and I'll know at one o'clock every day, I'm going to spend five minutes, I'm going to not do anything else, I'm going to speak in tongues for five minutes. Because I know I need to re-bring um, that discipline back into my life, because I've let it slip. And the Holy Spirit is so gracious, and he's challenged me on that, and started to do that. And I often found five minutes would creep into six, seven, eight, you sort of clock watching to start with, before you know it, you can hit a real kind of flow with it. So, but yeah, absolutely. In all my years. <laughs> so yeah, my my dad actually was uh, leading worship in a meeting. He was only quite a new Christian. I don't know how long you've been a believer for. You'd only been a believer for two years, I think. There you go. He was speaking in tongues, and at the end of the meeting, a guy came up to him and said, I just want to congratulate you on your Greek dialect. My dad's from Merthyr Tidville, and he worked on an open cast mine. He did not learn Greek. And my dad said, I don't know any Greek. He said, well, when, you were, when there was a point in the meeting where you were praising God in, in a Greek dialect that I understand, and you were saying, God, you're awesome, God, you're great, you're almighty, in, in this Greek dialect... Another time, uh, some, I think Matthew Ling was involved in this, actually. They were going on a team to Belarus. I think it was while it was still in the, under the Soviet, um, in, in the Soviet Union. And they were praying as they were watching their, their kit drop from an airplane onto the tarmac. So amps and instruments. And they were praying and praying in tongues. And one guy overheard them and they were speaking in a local uh, Russian sort of dialect. And they were praying that God would ask God to protect their equipment in tongues. So, I mean, that's, those are anecdotes of things that I know, that I trust the people who told me them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm always, I'm, 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 you have to be, we have to be wise yeah, yeah. about what we're willing to believe, what we're willing to accept. But when I know the source and I trust the source, yeah. then I'm, I'm all in when they tell me those things. But. I believe, I believe so, yeah. And I also believe that I have tapped into other types of tongues as I've engaged with the tongue that I'm more familiar with. So the tongues that when I speak in tongues, I am familiar now with my, the tongues that, that I speak. I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm, they're familiar to me because I've been, been speaking in tongues for, like I said, 40 years, and I, they're the same sorts of things. And they're quite, they're quite familiar to me and when I hear other people speak in tongues as well. But... but but there are times when I've kind of pushed through in that over, over time, and I think my vocabulary's expanded, and I believe the Holy Spirit has taken me into other dialects, other languages, other tongues. 
and it's like, oh, this is not familiar. And then, and then I really start to do the going back to the questioning thing again of is this me, is this the Holy Spirit? Because it's something fresh and something new, but it comes from engaging with the gift, absolutely. Just 100%. 100%. And I think when, when it comes to encouraging people to break through in speaking in tongues, because there will be some who speak in tongues like they fall off a log, and they'll really annoy the person next to them because the person next to them doesn't engage with it as quickly. They find it harder. And pastorally, that's a challenge. Because I, I don't, there's, there's no such thing as two multiple-tier Christians. And sometimes people are, they don't have that immediate breakthrough in tongues. Then they decide, well, it's not a gift for everyone. Or they'll say, I'm a, I'm a sort of a second-class or third-class Christian because I can't speak in tongues. And there's sometimes a, 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 a perseverance that needs to take place. Deborah Lyon is a prime example. She won't mind me telling you this. It took her a while to break through in speaking in tongues. But as she was cycling one day to college, she was singing worship songs and a truck went past her and she raised her voice and she'd been asking for a little while to break through in speaking in tongues. And as this truck went past, she began to sing louder and all of a sudden she started to burst out in singing in the spirit. That was her first experience of speaking in tongues. And here's the wonderful thing. Nobody else was anywhere near her except for the truck driver and he was gone. Because we're not the ones who baptize. It, on Sunday, somebody would be baptized in that pool. A young lady would be baptized. It will require at least one pair of hands to put her in and bring her out. But when it comes to being baptized in the Spirit, there's only one person who can do that, and his name is Jesus. And he's everywhere. And if we're ready and willing to engage with this, he will baptize us. If we're thirsty, we come to him and drink, we'll receive that overflow that he promises. And I think, going back to what John said, sometimes for people to not despise the fact they've only got a couple of words but to say, praise God, because they're not your words. They're the words that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now use them. And if it means you just keep saying those three words over and over again, don't worry about it, but just allow that to start to increase. And if you feel something new, something extra coming in, just engage with it, go with it. Don't question it. Because there's something that needs to happen in our minds as we do. I'll, I'll open up for more questions as we go and some really great things. And I want to be really practical and really honest about this, because this, this is something that is oftentimes gets written off completely as no longer relevant, no longer belongs to the church post essentially the end of, our, of the, 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 the line of our New Testament, or for others, isn't for every believer, but I believe every man, woman, and child that's born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, because they've received the Holy Spirit, will receive the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in whichever way the Holy Spirit decides to manifest, and that will be that will include tongues. Okay, so I just want to be clear on that. We're going to, we're going to uh, spend a lot of time looking in the book of Corinthians. This is a, a drone that flew over Corinth at 51 AD <laughs> and uh, took these really great shots. Uh, Corinth was a city that Paul uh, visited around 51, 52 AD on a second mission trip. It was a significant city. It was a really important city. It was a, a Greek city had a population of about 700,000 people. At the time, Rome was only a million people, and that was a major city. So this was a big, big city, 700,000 people. At the center of it, it had the, the Temple of Aphrodite, which was a place where there was a lot of pagan worship. And that temple had 1,000 temple prostitutes that worked from there, and your way of engaging with Aphrodite was to engage in sexual immorality with the temple prostitutes. 
Added to that, there were ex-slaves that were now free, that were living in a quite a debauched way. It was beautiful, had incredible buildings, it had natural springs, it had fertile lands around it. It was wealthy, it was rich, it looked great, it had its own games that was only second to the Olympics. It had a 20,000-seat amphitheater. This was a major, major city, but actually, even in Roman times, in the times of the Roman Empire, to act like a Corinthian was to be totally debased and immoral. So a Corinthian was held up or held down as this example of what it meant to be totally, completely corrupt and immoral. So it was like one of those apples, you know when you pick an apple from the bowl and it looks shiny and red and beautiful and as soon as you pick it up, it's all rotten underneath. And it doesn't take long to see that this city was rotten and here's a pioneering work that Paul is building in the church here with, along with other people like Apollos and he's trying to get the church to overcome these social challenges. We think the world is immoral now. Trust me, the level of immorality when the Bible was written and when Christianity was was birthed was equally, if not more so, immoral. We've not got a problem. The the gospel doesn't have a problem of growing in immorality. Darkness will never put out the light. And uh, Corinth was a prime example of that. And Findlay said it's a doctrine of the cross in its social application. Um, There's there's messy church and then there's messy church. Okay? (laughs) And this was a really messy church. This was a church that was good at charisma but lacked character and um, if you've got your Bibles if you just turn to uh, the the book of Corinthians what we'll we'll be looking at really is when when Paul writes to the church in Corinth he's got a whole load of different issues that he's dealing with he's got personality cults he's got infighting and lawsuits he's got sexual immorality um, and uh, all sorts of, of other things that are going on but what they did have was meetings that were full of, well, if you want to call it life, but they were, they were lots of acts of the supernatural, and there were lots of things that were not helpful either. You know when somebody, I don't know if you've ever left a meeting and said, well, that did more harm than good, <laughs> but that's one of Paul's takes on their gatherings, okay? And when we get to 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14 in our Bibles, Paul is dealing with the gathered church. He's dealing with public worship, and he's bringing order and instruction on how the church should behave and interact and function when they gather. So if you look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 11 is about head covering and uncovering. And that's why we believe that the the necessity to practice head covering and uncovering is when the church is gathered, because this is in the context of the gathered church. Talks about the Lord's Supper and how they should um, approach that covenant meal together. Some people were getting drunk, other people were going hungry. Um, And so Paul is dealing with that. And then Paul spends a lot of time talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the character or the fruit of the Spirit. And you'll see that 1 Corinthians 12 is all about gifts, and then how the church is a body made of lots of different parts, and every part is different, and every part is necessary because every part has a specific role to play, and the body is lacking if that part isn't functioning. And then he goes on to talk about the, the chapter that's read at pretty much every wedding, 113, which is all about love, God's agape love, and then he goes back to talk about gifts and prophecy. And I just want to say this about when we, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and I'm sure you've done this as well, if love is not at the center of the motivation for us to move in the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit, then it will never work. Yeah, that's right. 
We will never hit the mark. If you turn back in your Bibles to um, Exodus, uh, it's just up there on the, on the references up there, Exodus 28. Uh, the only reason I read this, these verses publicly is because there's one word in here that I very rarely hear read or said during a preach or a teaching session in church, and it's the word tinkle. I always get a chuckle. But these are the instructions that God gives Moses um, and Aaron in how they are to dress the priests, right down to the edge of their garments. God is interested in every single detail. Did you know that? He's interested in every single detail of our lives, right down to the edges of our clothes. He says, make a robe that's worn, and then at the end of this robe, so verse 33, says, make pomegranates, so there they are, out of blue and red and purple yarn, and attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells, there they are, um, in between them, and they're dotted around the hem. Aaron will wear this robe wherever he ministers before the Lord, and the bells will tinkle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence in the holy place. If he wears it, he will not die. (laughs) No pressure. Paul is taking, I believe, this little picture, and he's showing us something about the gift and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit represented by the pomegranates, the gift of the Spirit represented by the bells. And I believe this because if you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, bearing in mind that chapter 12 is all about what? 1 Corinthians 12 is all about gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is all about gifts. And in between, we have something about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And he's saying this, I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but if I didn't love others, I would only be what? A clanging gong. He's saying, you may as well take the pomegranates out, and it won't make a nice tinkling noise. It'll clang, and it will clash. And it might be the gift, but it won't hit the mark, because all it will do is jar whoever's listening to it. We must never, ever move in the gift of the Spirit, tongue, interpretation, prophecy, faith, even healing, with a wrong heart, a wrong motive. We must never move in the gift of the Spirit so that I can attach it to my shoulder. There you go. There's my, there's my faith gift badge sewn on. Got that now. Almost got a full set. Eight out of nine. What do you mean there's some in Romans 12? Oh, need to do the other side. But actually, the, in, in our gatherings, when we come together that the purpose of the gifts is to build up the body, is to edify the body, is to strengthen the church, and, we, and therefore, if I come with an attitude to any time that we gather to say, Lord, I love my Christian brothers and sisters. Give me anything that will be a help to anyone or everyone in this gathering, because I love them. And I tell you what, the Holy Spirit will answer that prayer every single time. I don't move in a gift to look good. I must never, ever move in a gift because of ego or pride or one-upmanship. Not now, but in the past, I've been in contexts where it was a gift off. Oh, right, you moved in that prophecy. Okay, well, I'm going to move in a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and see how you like that. Okay, well, I'm going to move in faith and healing and interpretive dance, which isn't even a gift. but that every time we're motivated by love. And that's how Paul places them in 1 Corinthians 12, the fruit, uh, sorry, the gift, the bell, then the fruit, love, and then the bell in 14 again, 12, 13, and 14. And um, 
I, didn't, I was gonna bring my son's Swiss Army knife, but um, does anybody own a Swiss Army knife? Not just the men, that's very, I love it, I love this church. All outdoorsy, aren't you? Um, you know, the thing about the Swiss Army knife, it's to receive the spirit is like getting a Swiss Army knife. Not like, it's not like getting a toolkit. It's like getting the Swiss Army knife that's got every feature. I think some of them have got 60 or 70 different functions now. Um, to get, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive all of him. And with him, we receive everything that is a manifestation of him. So that means that when he comes into my life, he doesn't come in with the pliers, but, he, but, but leaves the nail file out. Or he comes into your life, and he brings the screwdriver, but he doesn't bring the toothpick. I say tooth because I'm Welsh. <laughs> no, when we get the Holy Spirit, we get all of him, and with him, everything that he has. So important we understand this as believers. Because far too often as Christians, we start to cherry pick the gifts that we think we might have, that although we've got the Holy Spirit, he's decided to leave some of them out, and that therefore certain gifts are not for me to move in. I want to just big, draw a big line through that and say, no, we've received the Holy Spirit, and therefore every manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit feels is right for that time, is necessary and can come through any believer that's full of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine what it would be like if eight people gather in a meeting and we've all got the gifts between us because we've all got one each because, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's got, like, he likes to ration it. And there's one person who's sick and out, guess what? We've got all of these gifts but none of us have got healing. I mean, isn't that a crazy way to think about it? But that's not the case at all. That when the church is gathered and the Holy Spirit is there and he's in those who are gathered, every gift that's necessary, or available, sorry, so every gift that's necessary is available in that context. Whether that's two or three or whether that's two or three hundred. And the number is irrelevant because it's the Holy Spirit that's there. So I just want to make that really clear. There it is, look, all the manifestations. The saw, uh, the corkscrew, the hooky thing, the tape measure. If you want to measure something really short... If you want to measure your child in 50 increments, stay still without jabbing them. But that's, that's what we are, the manifestations of the Spirit. What are they for? Well, it, Paul just says very clearly, these are what the manifestations of the Spirit are for. They're gifts for service and works. And, here's, and, and the way, I love the way that Paul describes this. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. Um, he says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. By the way, in all of our, many of our Bibles, the word gift is, is put in, and the word gift Paul doesn't actually use very much at all. In fact, he barely uses the word gift, apart from in this portion. The word gift is often uh, bracketed in lots of versions because it's been added later by translators. The, what Paul actually says is just spiritual, so the things of the spirit, and then gifts get, gets put in. And then that's where we can say, well, have I got that gift or haven't I got that gift? And that's an unhelpful way to think about it and look at it. Because we start to say, well, I've got this gift, I've got that gift, but maybe I haven't got that one and I definitely haven't got that one. No, no. Everyone is there because the Holy Spirit is with us. But I love this description. Gifts of the Spirit, service of the Lord, Jesus Christ, works of God. This is a manifestation of the Godhead among us. Because it's the gifts of the Spirit, the service of the Lord, 
and the works of God. The Godhead is present through the working of and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through who? Us. What a privilege. What an immense privilege. You know, as we were worshiping you, I just was reminded, I, I shared once, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I hate a messy room. Like, I can't relax in a room that's messy. And when you've got three teenage children, it means you don't get to relax very much. No, they're great. And, and for me to, to be able to sit in a room and properly relax, I just need to restore some order, put things where they belong, and then I'm like, ah, I feel at home here. I feel comfortable here. This is good for me. I'm, 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 I'll stick around now. You know, when we worship, and when we bring order, and when we bring unity, and when we come together in the presence of God to worship Jesus together, we're creating an environment that the Holy Spirit just loves to be in. He's like, oh, I'm going to put my feet up here. I'm not going to rush off. This is where I, I love to be in this place. And what I loved about the way that we started this evening was we created an environment that the Holy Spirit loves to fill. And we can do that personally, and we can do that corporately. And how we conduct ourselves, and what we give our time to. But um, I just want to uh, look at these things, that God has been represented in the manifestation of the Spirit, and it's about gifts, which means they are not earned, which means it doesn't, you don't have to earn. Well, Lord, I've now been a Christian for five years, so I get the extra two gifts, <laughs> and I work my way up, and I can't wait till I've been a Christian for 10 years, because then I'll get the full package. No. As soon as we receive the Spirit, we receive all the gifts. And the gifts are there because they're grace gifts. Because here's the thing about this church, incredibly gifted, but also incredible problems with morality and character, but no lack of gift because they're grace gifts. If you've got faith to move in the gifts, Jesus didn't say by your gift, by their gifts you will know they belong to me. He says by their fruit. So that's why the fruit is more important. Character is more important than charisma. But charisma is very important. But there are grace gifts. There are people who move powerfully in the gifts of the Spirit that are not walking with God in the way that they should. It is not proof of someone's right character. It just means they know how to move in the gifts of the Spirit because they are grace gifts. But we are not like that. We will move because we love one another. We will move out of a good heart. And we know that they're given to us even though we don't earn them because most people want to write themselves off as not being long enough a Christian or not being charismatic enough. But they're all for us. They are for service and they're to get things done. They're they're to be effective. That's what that word, energma, it's like energy, isn't it? It just means to produce work. And and so I want us to pick up this this stuff about tongues and, uh, and talk a little bit about it. Do, has anybody ever asked the question, did Jesus speak in tongues? No, you're not allowed. I asked the question, so that's your homework. <laughs> don't know why I said that. Let's just made it. <laughs> I believe that the Holy Spirit was sent after his ascension to heaven, and it was this, the sign of tongues is the sign of the new covenant that was established in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't personally believe Jesus needed to speak in tongues, although if he wanted to, I'm sure he could. Because I believe, actually, tongues is a conversation 
that, that we're engaging in with the Godhead. And I believe that there's something that when, when, we, when we talk in the spirit where we engage in something that's heavenly. It's amazing. I was baptized in the spirit when I was seven and I'm so glad God was gracious to me to baptize me in the spirit when I was seven because when you're seven, you're, you're like, do you want to speak in tongues? Yes, I do. Let's pray for you. Okay, then pray for him. Off he goes. I remember it was at Dale's Bible week. I was in a tent. They prayed for me and I just started to speak in tongues. I've never looked back. But it's a, it's a sign of the new covenant. I don't believe you'll see tongues in the Old Testament. There's reference to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, but that's not about um, spiritual tongues. That's just different languages. But I believe it's a sign and it's a sealing of the new covenant that comes from Jesus' resurrection and ascension as they send the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And um, like I said, I, I think there have been two really significant moments for me when tongues have been um, sort of the significance of them being reinforced. Once was when I was baptized in the Spirit at the age of seven. The other was when I was 20. And I had a couple of years where I wasn't walking with God in the way that I should when I was at university. I wasn't, I didn't believe in God, but I wasn't following him as faithfully and as fervently as I should. And I came to the point of realizing, like the young man sort of knelt down at the pig's well, <laughs> saying, what have I done? I've moved away from where I should be. I've, I've gone away from my father and I need to go home. But it is in that moment of response that I was, I, I, a guy called forward people that wanted to recommit their lives to God. And I went forward in a big meeting and I just thought, I don't care who sees this because this is about me and God. And all he did and I did was we just spoke in tongues. And it was just this encounter with God. And I still don't know to this day what he said. I didn't get the interpretation, but there was an impartation that I received as he just spoke in tongues over me. I want to say this, if you don't know what to pray for, speak in tongues. Because you're not going to get it wrong then. <laughs> speak in tongues. And uh, it was a really significant time for me um, at that point. So just want to talk firstly about this word tongues. And it literally means to the physical tongue. So that first reference in our Bibles where that word is mentioned in the New Testament is when the man's tongue is set free because he is mute and he's deaf and Jesus heals him and his tongue is freed and he's able to speak. And then Mark 16, 17 is the kind of the uh, director's cut version of Mark 16 where he does the extra bit to say that you'll, you'll, be, you'll speak in tongues. This is Jesus' kind of commission to the disciples. And then Acts 2, 3, does anybody know what that refers to? Related to tongues, Pentecost, the church is gathered. And what I love about this story, by the way, is they were doing, it looks like the disciples were doing just what you're doing right now. They were just sitting. And then the Holy Spirit came. And I just want to say this about speaking in tongues, or any gift actually. Never let striving get into the mix when it comes to moving in gifts of the Spirit. It's not about working it up. It's not about hyping it up. Actually, it's just about resting in him and letting him work through us. And I love the description that the disciples were sitting, sitting together when the mighty rushing wind sound began to 
impact that room, and they were hearing it inside, and outside the crowd were hearing it, and it was pulling them together, and then the tongues of fire appeared on their head, and that word tongue refers to the tongue of fire and the fact that they spoke in tongues, and then they poured out onto the streets of Jerusalem during a very significant time in the calendar where people had all come from different countries, different parts of the world, and it says this, that everybody heard them speaking in their language. And I believe this, as they were speaking in tongues... This group of 120 people are speaking in tongues. I believe they were speaking in different tongues, but every person that heard the, 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 the group speaking were hearing their own language spoken. So if, you were, if a Welshman had been there, he would have thought they were all speaking Welsh. If a Frenchman had been there, he would have thought they were all speaking Welsh. If, <laughs> or if somebody from Turkey was speaking, they'd be speaking a Turkish dialect. Because, because there were two miracles that happened. One was that the, the tongues were coming through the mouths of the believers and that the hearers were hearing things in their own language. And it's important that we understand that in, when it comes to interpretation of tongues, that, that it's not about what we're saying, it's about what we're hearing, it's about what we're sensing in the spirit as the tongues come. Yes. So it's a similar dynamic. And uh, God wants us to enjoy that gift and engage with, that, with those gifts together. And then what we see as well in Acts is the significance and the importance of, of tongues every single time uh, a new group of people and believers are, are met. So you have the disciples in Acts 2, and then you get to Acts 8, and you've got Philip, okay, who's a classic evangelist. He's just going out doing his own thing. And he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. And fair play to him. He's not just, he doesn't just get people saved. He baptizes them as well. That is his modus operandi. He does it with the Ethiopian eunuch as well. He was like, I'm a double part of the Peter Package kind of man. I'm, I'll get you saved and I'll get you wet. Baptized in water. And then Peter and John turn up because there's obviously there's a kerfuffle in Samaria. So you send in the big guns. And they ask the question, have they been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. They've been saved, born again. They've been baptized, but there's still that element of the need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so sure enough, they pray for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say in that particular one that they spoke in tongues, but it does say this. Simon the sorcerer sees what's happening, and he's like, whatever you just did, I want to buy that trick. You put your hands on people, and something happened that was so amazing, I'm going to finish my show with that. And he gets chastised by the apostles to say, you can't make money out of this stuff, and you know, tell him off. But immediately, Acts 2, the disciples are together, they speak in tongues. Acts 8, Samaria, Peter and John come and bring apostolic government to it. Make sure that there's baptism in the Holy Spirit, there's an overflow. You get to Acts 10, Cornelius' house, Peter is called. He's preaching the gospel while he's mid-preach. How cheeky is this? God decides to baptize them in all the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes them all in the Holy Spirit. And guess what they're doing? They're sitting down again. Isn't that great? And they start speaking in tongues, and, and then the guys realize they're born again, they're speaking in tongues, now we need to get them baptized. There's nothing stopping them being baptized. And then you get to Acts 19, and Paul is in Ephesus, and he meets 12 people, and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they're so honest, I love their honesty. Didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What's that? He says, well, have you been baptized? And they're like, yeah, we were baptized by John. And so he realizes they've been saved, but they've not been baptized post-salvation, and they've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? He gets them baptized, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. These three things are key to the Christian birth, the full Christian birth. We see it time and again. 
Born again, yes. Baptized, yes. Filled with the Spirit, no. Get them filled with the Spirit. Born again, yes. Filled with the Spirit, yes. Baptized, yet, no. Get them baptized. Born again, yes. Baptized in water, no. Not really, it was before they were saved. Filled with the Spirit, no. Okay, we'll get them baptized and get them filled with the Spirit. These things are part of the normal Christian birth. We must never shortcut any of this stuff for anyone else. Because we're afraid. Will baptism offend them? Will their family think it's weird? Will they were confirmed as a child? Or with baptism in the Holy Spirit? Maybe that's a bit weird. Maybe they should be a Christian a bit longer so they know that when we talk about speaking in tongues, we're not going to freak them out and scare them off. No. no. All of these things are vital in our, in, our, in our normal Christian birth. And you know what? In our Bibles, it's, it's, it's actually the word tongues is mentioned 21 times in these three chapters in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. 13 and 14. What I'm going to do is ask if you'd have a five-minute leg stretch. Is that okay? Just to get up, move around, and um, just, just get the shoulders moving and, and, and do that because I've just been talking for quite a while. And we'll come back, and I want to look at tongues interpretation very practically, and then I'd like us just to spend a little bit of time engaging with the gift. That's okay? Okay, so if we're okay to regather, I know that was short. Um, just going to spend the next chunk of time really in, in these verses in 1 Corinthians, predominantly 12 and um, 14, but uh, it's not so clear on the screen, so I'll read these out to you, but 1 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul talks about the, um, how in a gathering one will speak in tongues and another will interpret. Um, 12, 28 talks about, Paul uses the phrase, there are various kinds of tongues, in 12.30, Paul says, do all speak in tongues and do all interpret, which is an interesting question. Some have taken that to say, well, that means that no, not everybody can speak in tongues. But I believe Paul is talking about in a gathering, in a specific setting. Yeah. Not everybody does everything. Um, when, uh, in, in 13 verse 1, which I just read earlier, Paul talks about speaking in tongues or languages of men yeah. and angels. And I believe that tongues can be... Uh, a, a, like a human dialect or language or an angelic language yeah. goes on in a little bit later on to say that in, in the love context although love will last forever tongues will cease and other things will cease because we'll be, we'll be before him in all of, all of his fullness um, and then here's an amazing verse 1 Corinthians 14 2 says that when we speak in tongues we speak mysteries to God and that word is the Greek word mysterion, which means secrets. There's, there's things that are hidden that are to be revealed. And that when we speak in tongues, we're speaking these mysteries, things that are aspects of revelation um, that I believe God wants to show us. 14.4 says that when a person speaks in tongues, they edify themselves, they build themselves up, they strengthen themselves. And uh, interestingly, um, there have been some scientific studies on speaking in tongues. I don't know if you know this. Uh, in 2006, in Pennsylvania, five African-American ladies were, um, had their brain activity measured while they sang gospel worship songs and then while they spoke in tongues. And in the, both contexts, there were very different uh, things coming back on the brain scans. And one of the things that was di particularly different in tongues was their frontal lobe wasn't firing, which is the origin of where we come up with our words, and, and uh, that wasn't 
needed, that, wasn't, that was sort of dormant while they were speaking in tongues, and they couldn't work out where the origin of the words was coming from in their brain activity. And then a little bit later in uh, Alabama in uh, 2011, there was a study of 52 people, and they measured stress markers in saliva, uh, namely cortisol and um, alpha amylase, and they found that both of those markers decreased um, when people spoke in tongues. So st these stress markers actually were reduced in the people that spoke in tongues. It's a stress reliever. If you stress, speak in tongues. If you don't know what to say, speak in tongues. If you don't know what to pray, speak in tongues. If you've got some time by yourself, speak in tongues. <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. There was a, a, a British um, questionnaire or amongst a thousand evangelical Christians. It was a, like a welfare questionnaire where you assessed your own sense of well-being and wellness. And those that spoke in tongues were much less stressed, far more content in the results that came back from this 1,000-person study that they did. So it was a lot bigger than a five-person study. And obviously, study size is significant. But, but I think more importantly, it's what Paul says. Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He's not showing off. He's highlighting the importance of the gift. And this is the Paul who is the contributor to incredible revelation that we hang so much on in the New Testament, on God, on Jesus, on the Spirit, on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be part of the church, on the kingdom of God and the eternal plan of God. All of those things come from a man who spoke in tongues more than anyone. He's the man who got a guided tour around third heaven, for goodness sake. And I believe part of that was because of his engagement in speaking in tongues. He saw and engaged with mysteries. It says, I intend. I, do you know one of the things? I, I quite like the New Living Translation, but it really falls down on some verses in the way that it communicates it. And, and in my, uh, in, in it says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues. That is not what Paul says when you read the original Greek. It sounds like he's saying, oh, I wish you could all speak in tongues. I know you can't, but I wish you could. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, I fully intend and will and desire that you all speak in tongues. Does that sound quite different? That's what he says. Those are the words that he uses. And again, when we read our Bibles, it's important. It's great to have a version that we are comfortable with and we enjoy reading. But it's important that we get good um, rendering of Scripture on certain things, word-for-word -word translations. And we understand what the word was, how it was written when, we, when it was given. It says uh, that... Um, it's, if you speak in tongues in a public setting, it doesn't really benefit anyone else. Is that fair? I think that's fair. If I started speaking in tongues for the next 10 minutes, I don't think you're going to particularly love that. You might prefer it. I don't know. <laughs> but he's saying, I don't, you don't really benefit anybody else. Why? Because they don't know what you're saying. You're speaking in tongues. So we have to be careful in how we're using it. Because here's the thing. This was a church that were using these gifts and in, in a way that was disordered and unhelpful. The way that they approached the table was disordered and unhelpful. Yeah. Same way they were using the gifts. Disordered and unhelpful. These are gifts of the Spirit that need to, to come with an order. And that when there's an order, then they're, they're blessed. And there you go. I speak in tongues more than any of you as one I've already mentioned. And so he talks about tongues a lot. And I think it's important we differentiate between personal tongues and public tongues. Personal tongues are, as, as I've already said, you know, are, are, are tongues personal or are tongues public? 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes is the answer. Personal times, I believe, are where we talk, we're told to pray in the Spirit. So that's Jude 20, Jude 1.20. Ephesians 5.19 says pray uh, singing spiritual songs. Ephesians 6.18 says pray in the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 14.4 is where Paul says about when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. So there's a personal strengthening. I just want to say this about tongues and how it differs from all the other gifts of the Spirit. The other gifts of the Spirit are for me to give to somebody else predominantly. So if I've got the gift of healing, who is the gift of healing for? Is it for me or someone else? Someone else. Who's it, who, who, who is it for? person who's sick. And I say, here's the gift. I've moved in the gift. Here you go. It's blessed them. It's blessed me as well, but it's predominantly for them. If I move in a prophecy, who's it predominantly for? The people who are listening. A word of knowledge? Do I need a word of knowledge about my own life? I hope not. <laughs> word of wisdom, maybe, but predominantly, God's gifts are for others, whereas actually the gift of tongues has a personal benefit. So there is a place for using tongues personally. We can be, I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say selfish, but we, can be, we, we should use it for our own benefit, for our own good. If anybody here is struggling with stress at the moment, or anxiety, or pressure, or, just, or, de uh, or, or depression, or anything else, can I encourage you, just speak in tongues more. And, and do whatever helps you to do that. That might be putting something in your phone to remind you. It might be to writing a note on your mirror when you look in the morning, it just says, speak in tongues. It might be asking somebody to check up on you. Say, look, I want to be speaking in tongues more. Can you ask me in a week's time if I've been doing it? Whatever it takes, but just, I, I believe, actually, even if you're not battling with those things, we should all be speaking in tongues more. I can speak in tongues more than I do. I should speak in tongues more than I do. So there's the personal, and then there's the public. We, we've seen how it impacted the crowd in Acts 2. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about it, uh, 10, uh, 12, 10, Paul talks about tongues and interpretation. And then if we jump into 1 Corinthians 14, um, Paul talks about tongues. And again, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, in the New Living Translation, unhelpfully says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues. Okay? That's what makes me a little bit angry with the New Living Translation. Because actually the real rendering is, the one who speaks in tongues. And he's saying, in a gathering, the one who speaks in tongues, not amongst the church, you've got one person who speaks in tongues. But when you meet, because remember this series is all about the gathered church, the one who speaks in tongues will only be talking to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, which will be mysteries. The one who prophesies, however, strengthens others and encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the person who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I intend you all speak in tongues, but even more so, I wish you could all prophesy. And again, he's saying, in the gathering. Because his point is, you need to be understood as to what you're saying. And a prophecy is going to be understood and therefore more helpful than standing up and just speaking in tongues that people won't understand. And so he encourages them to speak in tongues corporately. Verse 14, 13, uh, chapter 14, 13 says, anyone who speaks in tongues should also pray for the ability to interpret what has been said. And I just want to say this. I believe the onus is primarily on the person who moves in tongues to interpret the tongues. 
And I think the vast majority of the time, the person who's, who brings the tongue will also bring the interpretation. I don't believe it's restricted to that, but I believe that's the primary thing. Um, and to, to encourage us to, to do that. Who should interpret? Well, he's, earlier on he says, one brings tongues and another interprets. So you could argue there are two different people that are doing something together. But I also believe one, this instruction in 14.5 um, about speaking in tongues but needing to bring something that people can understand. And then in 13 saying the one who speaks in tongues should also pray for the ability to interpret. 14 says, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So actually, initially, as we speak in tongues, the spirit is moving, causing us to speak, and we don't necessarily understand what we're saying. Is that fair? So the mind is slightly like lagging behind. But I also believe God wants the mind to catch up with the spirit. And initially, I think I've known a benefit of my emotions and being edified before I've started to cotton on to a little bit about what the Holy Spirit is actually showing me or saying through me as I speak in tongues. But it's a good thing to say, right, now that I'm speaking in tongues, I'm going to pray for an interpretation. And the onus is on me to do that. When, how often would we move in a tongue and interpretation in the gatherings here in the church? Is it something that happens once a month, once a week, once every few months, or fairly regularly? Does that happen where uh, certain people tend to move in that more than others? Who are the prime people who would bring a tongue and an interpretation? David? To bring the tongue and the interpretation or just the tongue? Sometimes both? Yeah. Anybody else that would be a sort of semi-regular or? Ali Rothwell. And would Ali bring a, yeah, I think I've been, I think the last time I was with you she brought a song, might have been a a song in tongues and then an interpretation perhaps. Um, could you give me a wave if you've ever, well, first, if you speak in tongues, could you just give me a wave? Just, this isn't to sort of isolate anybody, just out of interest. Because I would, before I go, love to pray for people that haven't yet spoken in tongues to, to do that. Um, how many have moved in a tongue and interpretation? Okay, so. Right. I, I think it's, it's interesting because I, I think probably at Living Rock, where I'm based, a tongue and interpretation isn't as regular as I'd like it to be. Because I, I, when, when somebody brings a tongue, it's a little like a spiritual hand grenade, isn't it? It's <laughs> sort of like, because everybody's like, whoa, hold the phone. <laughs> What's going on? All of a sudden, the tongue comes, and everybody's like, oh, okay. That means now that the elders or whoever's in charge is not going to let us move on until there's an interpretation. <laughs> and if we're really good, if we're being really good, church attendees will say and maybe I've got it or I can certainly ask for it now I I do believe predominantly the interpretation should come through the person who brings the tongue but I believe anybody can bring it as I've already said but to to encourage us to know that if you can speak in tongues then you can bring an interpretation and actually sometimes it's quite a similar process because when we speak in tongues we kind of get the first bit and then we go and you're almost like you just know you're speaking And sometimes, certainly with an interpretation, it can be quite similar. You might have a word or an image or an impression, and it's only the beginning. It's very, it's most likely you'll only get the beginning. And what you'll really want is the whole thing. (laughs) That's what I will will anyway. 
I'm like, Lord, I want this properly, like, signed, sealed, and delivered before I'm ready to speak it out. I want the whole story, and I want to be able to recite it to myself three times, and then I'll go and deliver it. And that's where the difference is, you know, we're not here about presenting things in a polished, perfect way. The heart is so much more important. The willingness to edify and encourage and the desire to do that helps me get over my own insecurities, my own sense of lack or being freaked out. <laughs> but oftentimes, the, as the tongue comes, and for you, David, how would you know if, if you feel a tongue is sort of ready to, to, to be brought, the burden of a tongue to you? So you kind of sometimes, almost like a bit of a physical prompt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you notice a, cha a change in your own tongues in that? Or do you feel like the tongues are often familiar to you in the tongues that you'd use in your devotional time? Yeah, that's fine. You know, when, when, when there have been times when I've moved in a, in, a, in a tongue in a gathering because I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to ignite something spiritually. He wants to just get, and I've like, get everybody's spiritual radar up. And it's much easier to do that with the tongue than it is by saying, come on, guys, let's get our spiritual radars up. Um, and for me, the... the there's sometimes it's the it's the shift in my tongues that's from the familiar to the unfamiliar that I feel is a is a prompt to speak in tongues. But that's the that's that's the beauty of this is there isn't a it's not an exact science. For some people, they'll start to feel a burden and a, and, and something an impression that God wants to say something in that context, and they believe it needs to initially come through a tongue. Um, and so when, when, we, when we're gathered, but the church I, was, I, I grew up in, when, between the age, my, my parents were saved when I was very young, I was six months old, I think I've said this before, I, I sat them down, I led them to Christ when I was six months old, so you need to sort your life out, Dad. Uh, I was six months old, and then for the first five years of my life, we went to a little evangelical, a uh, little Elim church, in, a Pentecostal church, sorry, in Merthyr Tidville, called Jerusalem, and the, the main gift in operation in those gatherings was tongue and interpretation. That was the regular way that God would often, or, or that the church would often minister. And in fact, it was in one of those meetings, my dad was praying about whether he should go to Bible school or not. He'd been a Christian for four years, and he'd been praying prior to the meeting. Went into the meeting on a Sunday, uh, somebody brought a, a tongue and an interpretation, and the interpretation was this, not now, says the Lord. Um, there will be a time, but it's not now. And my dad felt that was God's word to him, instruction to wait. He decided not to apply to Bible school. A year later, when he applied to Bible school, the Welsh um, government had made a shift and they decided to give a bursary and pay for all course fees for everybody from Wales that wanted to do a college course or university course. And so because he waited a year, his three years at Ealing Bible School was paid for by the Welsh government. All because of the obedience of somebody in a gathering to bring a tongue and interpretation. And all the interpretation was, was not now, says the Lord. I want you to wait, but not now. You might think, oh, that's not much of a word, is it? I need to flower this one up a little bit. I need to throw in some imagery and, you know, a little bit of flair and pizzazz. 
It's so important that we just bring what the Holy Spirit gives us to bring. Paul says, I'd rather speak in five words that somebody can understand than babble away in tongues. Because Paul knows this, five words is enough. For me, God, as I said on Sunday, usually four words is enough for me, for God to get his message across. And that when we, we come into a gathering, there are times when we, um, the, the manifestation of a tongue and interpretation is just what's needed in the mix for the church, for us all to engage spiritually. What are we looking for to interpret? How do we interpret the tongue? What is it that a tongue will communicate? Well, if you turn in your Bibles, you'll see here, there are, I believe, five things that we can look for when it comes to what a tongue will communicate in a public meeting. First thing is this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that if you speak in a tongue, you speak mysteries. I believe that when somebody brings a tongue, they might bring something of revelation from God, something prophetic. And therefore, the interpretation will be a prophetic word from God to the church. I personally believe that it's oftentimes a tongue and interpretation is more of a from us to God. That's my personal view, based on the amount of times that, the, that then when Paul refers to the burden of tongues being much more, rather than from God to us, from us to God. So he says this, if I speak in tongues... It's, it edifies me, and if the church can understand it, they are strengthened and edified. Now, you could say, well, that could be a prophetic word as well. Absolutely. But then prayers, so 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. What shall I do then? Pray in the spirit. I will also pray in words I understand. So he's saying, when I speak in tongues, I'm praying, and when I interpret, I interpret the prayer. He goes on to say then that it's about praise. He says, what shall I, um, in the same verse, if you praise God only in the spirit, so again, he's talking about praising God in tongues, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So again, there's something of praise, prayer, and thanks that come from a tongue, and the interpretation will be in line with communicating those things. Yeah. I don't believe so, but I believe in that context there may be the need for a tongue and interpretation. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we did tonight, after we finished singing in English, was there was then this desire, this this kind of overflow of singing in the spirit together. Now, I don't believe that needs an interpretation every time. I just believe that's a corporate response. And what's happening there is there's something of, of the praise that's happening and thanksgiving that's happening as we're engaging with God by singing in the spirit. And I think that's a way of being filled with the spirit. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5 to pray in the spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that's kind of what we did tonight. But he doesn't say there needs to be interpretation with that. But when we do that, God fills us and he fills the, the gathering with the presence of his spirit so so there are times when just singing in the spirit together brings a real sense of just the freshness of, of the filling of the holy spirit precious actually and it's something that was hard it's very hard to do on during lockdown isn't it to sing in tongues but much easier to do when you're with the gathered church and when we sing in the spirit something happens doesn't it in the atmosphere
And, and I believe that, I, I do believe though, those are times when a tongue will, can very easily come yeah. from that mix. Because tongues are being stirred up. And as we engage in tongues, I think the gift of tongues is firing. And then it's very easy for that gift of tongues and then the need for the interpretation. When the tongue comes over everything else, sometimes, it, sometimes they'll be singing in the spirit and then a tongue will come and it will sort of like trump all of the others and all the other, everybody else will be quiet because the tongue from one person just like dominates. Not in an overbearing way, but you just know this is carrying something. And that's where the gift then needs the interpretation for me. That's, that's that point. I don't believe that necessarily needs an interpretation. But you may feel in that. Now, whether this is an interpretation or not, I think sometimes I'll be praying in tongues for somebody and God will give me a word for them in that context. Would I say that's an interpretation? I don't know. Am I that bothered? Not really. But I do think. But there might be a time when the tongue comes and it sort of just, it sort of cuts across everything else. There's a weight to it. And that's, for me, the gift that then requires. When, when that happens and everything else quietens down and that is the, 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 the sound in the room, that requires an interpretation. I would say that. Yeah. Do you have your hand up? Yeah. I, so I, I remember once I got up to preach and I just felt I needed to bring a tongue and an interpretation before I preached. Um, I think there are times when I've, if leading worship might just be sing, my own sort of, because I, know, I just, I do speak in tongues in the context of worship quite a lot. Um, but I don't believe that always needs an interpretation or that might come over on the mic. It's for me, it's the, the, there's that sense of there's something, I don't know how to describe it better, and there's just a weight to something. There's, this is carrying something. And I think the person who's bringing it or speaking in it knows that, and therefore they make a point of bringing it with a strength that shows the conviction behind it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if yeah. I articulated that very well. No. Yes. It does, it carries, it does, it has its own power, it kind of has its own momentum. And, I, and it's very rare for me personally to bring a, a gift of tongues without having spoken in tongues prior to that. It just seems to, it just seems to kind of move me into that. So that's me. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think a right way to order it in, if we talk about th these things, it's great, great questions. Firstly, I just want to talk about the tongues, and I'll come back to that. Is that okay? Because I've got these just last two slides. Firstly, to desire to speak in tongues is to come to Jesus. If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. And I, that applies to everybody, whether you've been speaking in tongues forever or not ever spoken in tongues before. He's the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. And I will often say to people, you, we'll pray for you, but you don't need us to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, there are biblical examples of laying on of hands. There are biblical examples of it happening without anybody touching them because it's Jesus that does it. 
But there is an impartation that you can definitely benefit from from others who are filled with the Spirit. But to find a time and a place where you can speak out, singing and speaking in tongues is really important. Um, and I would say both, both are really valid and va- valuable. To go with the words that you feel are forming as you're, as you're speaking them. You, here's what the Holy Spirit won't do. You won't speak in tongues like this. And you're kind of starting to work and stop doing, you know, and when you tunnel around. And we have to be speaking. Yeah. We have to take that step of speaking. And that, that's why I sometimes say to people, just praise God yeah. first. But now, as you feel something else starts to form, it's much easier to get, get something up and running when, it, when there's a bit of momentum already, yeah. rather than going from zero to 100. Just start speaking, start singing, start using your own language, but just trust that as something comes to you, just go for it. Take that word, take that step, and usually you'll have at least a few others that come off the back of it. And you start, as you described earlier, John, it, it can, might be a little bit stuttering and a bit short, but just keep going with it, keep engaging with it. Um, don't worry about it. Don't stress, just, just, just go with it. And if you're making it up, but your heart's good, God's fine with that, by the way. He's not going to zap you. Christians will, but he won't. Don't overanalyze. Don't be afraid and, and practice. And then when it comes to interpretation, <clears throat> firstly, interpretation is not a translation. So, you know, you click the timer. Well, that was a 10-second tongue, so this better be a 10-second interpretation. Go. Well, they only used 28 words, and this was 25. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's, to, it's to convey the essence and the heart of the tongue um, is, is the key. And therefore, it's a, um, a quality, not a quantity thing. And it will carry the same dynamic. So if somebody's like, And then somebody else stands up and says, You're all great, and we're having a fantastic time, says the Lord, and let's have a party. Does that feel like an interpretation of the tongue? No. The one was a cry to God saying, Lord, I need your, your deliverance. I need you in my life, Lord. I'm, I'm struggling and things are hard and I'm calling on you today because I need you more than ever before. Because you know that in the essence of the, the tongue, you get the essence of the interpretation. Yes. The heart is in there. To start with the words that you, God has given you, to start with, um, to go with the prompts as he starts to show you what they are, whether that is the the tremble or the, the warmth or the, the change in, in your own tongue, or just the, the, the knowing that the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to speak in tongues now. Get up and speak in tongues. And you're like, but I don't know what I'm going to say. He's like, that's because you're not going to say it. I'm going to say it through you. And then we deliver the tongue, and then we're thinking, now what about the interpretation? And that's when we should be praying for the interpretation, if we haven't already. But knowing that if we've moved in the tongue, the interpretation will come. And, and if, we're, if we're looking after a gathering and a tongue comes, an interpretation comes from somebody other than the person who brought the tongue, I believe the right thing to do is rather than necessarily in front of the whole church say, do you feel that was the interpretation, is to say, Does that, did that, do you feel that communicated it? And I also think we have our own sense of that wasn't quite it. Because, because one of the things that tongues does in the dynamic of the church is if our spiritual antenna are up, other gifts of the Spirit are also going to start popping. 
And that's fantastic. That's what we want. So it might mean that somebody has, all of a sudden, a prophetic word starts to stir in them, and they think, oh, maybe that's the, the interpretation, and maybe now's the time to bring it, and nobody else seems to be moving. And, and, and if that's the case, and, you know, it's fine. I still believe it's from God. Let's not get all weird about it. Be still, be silent until the interpretation. It's good, there's, a, there's order. But actually, sometimes we might say, that, that was a prophetic word from God, and we should, let, we should take that word to heart, and we'll come back to that, but that was not the interpretation of the tongue. Yeah. That doesn't condemn the person who brought the prophetic word, because they've moved in a prophetic gift. But we have to say, I don't believe that was the interpretation. So we're going to wait a bit longer and ask for the interpretation. And really, as I said a few times, the onus... I believe, is on the person who brought the tongue to bring the interpretation. I'm also am not going to make it weird in a meeting, and like three hours later, no, no interpretations come, and like, we're not leaving until we've got an interpretation. <laughs> because Paul also says, later on in 1 Corinthians 14, if it's not a forthcoming, it's not a forthcoming. It's not the end of the world. You know, we don't have to get button down everything in a meeting, when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, and there's a manifestation of the Spirit, the most mature spiritual believer in the room is still sometimes not quite sure. Yeah. Just want to say that. Yeah. You can look at the elders all you want, okay? Some of them are like, I don't know. That's part of the fun. Yeah. I, I believe some gatherings sometimes, I'm like, I'm not sure what that was. But, I, but I've, I'm built up by it. So I'm okay, I don't have to put a label on it. Yeah. Right, yes. So it was an interpretation in part. Great. That's good, and Paul actually says, sometimes you kind of stack up the tongues. You shouldn't have more than three tongues before. We don't, we don't do that very often at all. Can't remember if we've ever done it in gatherings I've been in, where there's been multiple tongues and then multiple interpretations. The, the key is, in it all, is that we know this. I'm here to build up the body of Christ. And the wonderful truth is, the Holy Spirit is in me in all of his fullness. He hasn't come in as half of the Holy Spirit. He's not the holy S, and he's left out the pirate. Okay, the fullness of the Spirit, Holy Spirit is in me. And everything that he can bring, I can bring. And Lord, I just want to be useful today. And I'm scared to even pray that because I know that that might mean you asked me to do something. But I just want to bless my brothers and sisters. Help me to do that. And God say, fine, here you go. And it might be something that's public. It might be something that's very personal, to just one-to-one. -one. That's fine. But in the gift of tongue and interpretation, it's important that we understand that A, tongues are vitally important for our devotional life for every single believer, and they are vitally important in the context of our gatherings. That when we speak in tongues, something spiritual happens in the environment, there's something, there's a, something that happens supernaturally. That when a tongue is brought publicly, it turns us all switched on to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. That we're all waiting now and wondering about the interpretation, and if we're really faithful in that, we'll ask, start to ask God for our own sense of what that is. That when you move in a tongue, not to be afraid of once you start where you're going to stop, because actually it will have, you'll run out of gas with it. And the key is just stopping when you run out of gas rather than pushing on. Same with the interpretation. You just feel like, that's it. 
I've shared it. The burden's kind of been discharged. And again, it's not an exact science, but this is a thing that we practice together. This is the thing where we know that we're together in this. That if somebody brings a tongue and it's a bit stuttering and it's a bit weird and it doesn't quite hit the mark that they're not a pariah in the church or they never allowed an opportunity to move in that gift again, but that we know that these gifts are things that we're learning together and trust that when that person brought it, all they wanted to do was build up the body of Christ. And, and that when we, when we administrate this gift, that we understand that, that in an interpretation, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will only give us the beginning. It might be the first word. Or begin to give us an image, maybe, that we feel we need to describe in, in what that prayer was or what that word was. Or, or just an impression of what was being communicated in the heart of that, that we want to just start to communicate. And as we begin to interpret it, that the Holy Spirit starts to fill in and, and flow through us beginning to talk. Is that okay? I'm just conscious of the time. I was really hoping we'd have some time to... Um, I, it's my fault because I'm the one who's been talking um, to, um, to speak in tongues. Well, I think what I would love for us to do, just, just for five or ten minutes, if this is okay with everybody, is if we could just stand together. And um, <clears throat> I kind of just, in, as I was praying and thinking about this evening, just saw us standing together and speaking in tongues together. And I, I just want to say this. If, if all that happens tonight is that we, we just speak in tongues um, and and that nothing else happens, but we just spend some time together speaking in tongues. I'm blessed by that. But if there's a, if you feel I've, I've, I've got something that I just feel like I want to really communicate, then just, it, it will require you, I think, to raise your voice that little bit more, okay? Which is gonna take a little bit of boldness. But just to step out and do that, and, and just for us to be aware, if somebody starts to do that near you, could I ask that you lower your own voice so that their voice is allowed to be heard and, I, and then we'll together we'll hear them them speaking and just that will be the tongue and then we'll just wait on god for the interpretation does that sound okay um that's that's just want to spend just five or ten minutes just speaking in tongues together and uh, i believe that there is something that god wants us to just experience together in this context before before we bring our time together so i'm just going to pray give thanks to god and then we're just going to speak in tongues and just give some time to that and see what happens. Is that okay? Yeah. Lord, I want to thank you for your gifts, Lord. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you are wonderful, that you are so good, that you're so kind, that you love to be um, among God's people, that you love to be present with us as we gathered in, in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now as we speak in tongues together, Lord, firstly, I pray for anyone that's not yet spoken in tongues. Lord, as they just begin to speak, Lord, that you would cause them to have a breakthrough, Lord, and that they would be able to begin to speak um, in, in, in a language that they don't know, Lord, that's unfamiliar to them. But Lord, that there'll be a breakthrough for them this evening, Lord, that they'll be able to enjoy. And Holy Spirit, as we close this time, we ask for the gift to just operate among us, that we would leave this place edified and strengthened more than ever before, we pray. Amen. Kishandabarostondo Kuriste, Erianda Barala Kuriandara Shireste, Eriest and Abarolo Kosho.